Root Simple Podcast. Low tech, home tech. Hello and welcome to the Root Simple Podcast. We're the audio companion to the Root Simple blog, where we cover gardening, home economics, and DIY living. This show is hosted by myself, Eric Knutson, and Kelly Coyne. We are the authors of The Urban Homestead and Making It, Radical Home Ec for a Post-Consumer World. In episode 26, Kelly and I talked to Colin Bogart about riding a bike in the city. Colin is a friend and programs director at the Los Angeles County Bicycle Coalition. It should be said, this is the first time on the Root Simple podcast that we've had wine, and we're recording now at some time after 8 p.m., so mm-hmm. it's a different different mood here in the podcast drone. But welcome to the podcast, Colin. It's good to have you on. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. This is fun. I'm sipping my Sangiovese. Yeah, it's pretty decent wine. It is. Someone left it here somehow. But good for you. Exactly. Good for me. Free wine. Good for us. Now, um, both you and I, Colin, grew up in Southern California. Yeah. Me in Culver in... City. And you in Simi Valley. Yep. Home the Valley of... Beyond the Valley. That is, it's the home of the Rodney King verdicts and, oh, I'm insulting everyone in Simi Valley now. Home of the Rodney King trial and a a whole lot of LAPD officers. And the Reagan Presidential Library. The Reagan, yep. But Among other things. you rode a bike as a kid in in Simi. I mean, this is it should be said. This is a this is a suburb, right? Maybe you should yeah, set the a, scene. It's a, sub, it's a suburb of L.A. Um, it's actually technically it's Ventura County. It's right over the county line. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we first moved there, nobody knew where it was because the freeway we didn't go through yet. But um, actually, oddly enough, when I was living in Simi, I did not bike. I rode a bike when I was a kid younger we we lived in like the valley elementary school age yeah we lived in the valley for a while and then when i moved to see me and it became a teenager um i was more into skateboarding but uh once i once i really i'd have to fast forward and say once i went to college and i went to loyola marymount university in la near lax and i had a beat up old beach cruiser and that's how i got around while i was going through school uh, but I did ride a bike when I was a little kid, definitely. I think just about every kid did. Well, there was that gap, right? I, there was I had a gap. that gap too. Well, why didn't why didn't we keep riding a bike? Well, I, we did, let's see. I didn't I didn't ride a bike when I was in like junior high and high school because it wasn't cool because I was I was too sort of punk rock and goth. And, yeah, I was going to say that. I mean, nobody. I mean, if you rode a bike to high school where I grew up in Denver, you were a loser. I mean, you yeah. really were a loser. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'd hate to say that now, and I don't think that's as true now for uh, young people as it was in the 80s yeah yeah you can't you can't wear a trench coat and ride a bike yeah you just it's hard to look cool you know i mean i had sometimes i had to ride the bus to school sometimes i had to Mm -hmm. walk i could walk it was a long walk um but like riding a bike was not just for some reason riding a bike was worse than walking (laughs) and the best thing of all of course is to go through that rite of passage and get your car yeah although you know Interestingly enough, uh, I mean, I got my driver's license when I was 16, and I drove my mom's car around when I could, mostly like on the weekends and stuff when she'd let me borrow it. Um, I didn't actually get my first car until after I graduated from college, so it kind of skipped me, I guess. <laughs> so when you were in college, that's why you were on a bike? You didn't have a I didn't, didn't have, have a, a car. car. I didn't have a car, and um, 
uh, that's how I got around. I mean, I lived on campus the first two years of school, and then the, the second two years uh, I lived off campus, and that's how I commuted to and from campus. I, you know, I lived close enough that I could ride. Uh, but yeah, and I continued to ride a bike through the end of college, and then for a while after I graduated uh, to work. And then eventually I saved up some money and bought a car, and I remember it was like a big deal because it was my first car. And uh, it was mostly about two things. One, I didn't have to ride my bike in the rain anymore. I was very excited about that because I used to just get soaked. And uh, two, I could actually go on a date, which was a big deal at the time. <laughs> so it's like, oh, I can give somebody a ride. This is great. But yeah, my, I mean, my first car was like a beat up old Dodge Colt four door that I bought from a friend's sister. You know, and she like tinted the windows and put a racing steering wheel on this car, which is really kind of <laughs> silly when you think about it. But <laughs> it got me where I needed to go. But at a certain point, you got back on a bike. What, did. When did that happen? I did. Um, wow. Quite a few years later, I was actually living in San Francisco. Oddly enough, taking BART most of the time to work and walking, not really driving that much. I did have a car, but I didn't drive it a lot. And I knew a lot of friends uh, who rode bikes, many of whom were involved in the San Francisco Bike Coalition. And I started getting it. I was like, hmm, I should get a bike. And I was shopping for a bike when I got offered a job and moved back down to LA. But I continued to search for a bike and got one. And then um, just, you know, initially started out just kind of riding recreationally. Um, you know, I was living in East Hollywood, kind of close to Griffith Park and the LA River Path. And I was started out just kind of going and riding in the park and on the path, and it was purely recreational for quite some time. You kind of mountain biking, or were you road biking um, at this point? Well, I had a hybrid bike, and then I bought a mountain bike. And so for a while, I was kind of into the mountain biking thing. You know, I was doing quite a bit of mountain biking. And then eventually I bought a road bike, first one I'd ever had, and that was just like, oh, wow, I can just go right out the front door and jump on it and go. And I really got into road biking and was doing a lot of riding and ended up doing the AIDS life cycle um, in 2003, which you know, Tell great. me about that. That's a, it's a big charity ride for charity the... Ride. Yeah, it's Between for the, San Francisco and L.A. Yeah, right? so it's for the uh, L.A. Gay and Lesbian Center and the San Francisco AIDS Foundation. And so, you know, if you live in L.A., it's for the L.A group and if it's san francisco you know and it's a basically you ride from san francisco to los angeles over the course of seven days and it's um it's a tough ride but it's also really really fun and and really well supported and that was sort of that was really exciting and and new for me at the time really i hadn't done anything quite like that before and also i'd never you know i was never really an athletic person growing up like i wasn't good at sports and uh, I wasn't a competitive person, really. Uh, so it was a big deal to do that ride because it was like, wow, I can I can do this big, challenging ride and, and survive. In fact, I was having a great time. I was By the time I got to L.A., I was ready to continue on to San Diego. I was enjoying it so much. And how did it feel when you ended that? I mean, did you think, well, this is cool, I can, I can bike around now? Or was it still kind of like a recreational thing for you? Oddly enough, actually, shortly after I finished it, I, I um, developed a pain in my knee. And, and basically what happened was I, I had an overuse injury. Bike didn't fit properly. 
um, you know, a number of factors. And um, it took a long time actually to figure out what was wrong. And I, I actually went for like a two year period where I didn't ride at all. And it was driving me crazy. Eventually had surgery, got it taken care of, and, and then basically started riding again. Uh, essentially the summer of 2005, which was when bike summer happened in LA. And that really was a major turning point, actually, for biking in LA in general. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Bike Summer. Well, yeah, that, because actually what got me back on a bike was Bike Summer. There you go. Now, where you were involved in planning I Bike was. Summer. I was. And what and, what inspired you to be a part of that? I mean, were you at that point, were you riding to work or? No, actually, when I first started helping planning for Bike Summer, which really what it was, for anybody who's not familiar, is it basically, it, you know, it's declared Bike Summer in a certain city. Um, and for like an entire month, anybody and everybody who wants to organize a bike ride, whatever theme, no theme, what have you, uh, can post it to a website and, and it's like a month long, you know, rides, you know, several rides every day. And I actually got involved in helping to plan even when I wasn't riding. And I was just kind of had my fingers crossed that I was going to recover from my surgery in time to actually participate. And which fortunately I did. Uh, and it was interesting because it introduced me to a whole new group of people that I had never known before. All these people helping organize all these different rides and people I didn't know. I was volunteering for the Bike Coalition at the time, and so I knew people through that. But this was a whole different group of people, and uh, it was very exciting. And Bike Summer itself was just huge and a, and a big eye-opener for everybody. It was like I think the first time – like lots of people from all over LA came together. You know, I remember the the first ride, the the opening ride to the opening event, which was down on on the Santa Monica Pier. Actually, a bunch of us rode down like Venice Boulevard all the way, and and it just like the group just got bigger and bigger and bigger, and we, everybody was like, wow. Prior to that, the you know you'd go to I don't know you go to Critical Mass and you get excited because there was forty people. And so we, you know, we do this ride and it was like hundreds and everybody was like, wow, there's a lot of, there's a lot of us. And that was really cool. And that was really, I think the start of the change here in LA in terms of, you know, growing that bike movement. It really was, I think, a pivotal moment. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was thinking of the possibilities here because, you know, the thing about LA is, of course, it's not known as a bike mecca needless to say yeah. I mean, it's, it's it's the, the poster child for car around. capital but yeah. the thing is it's mostly flat the weather is nice year-round it's kind of the perfect place to ride a bike and that's the irony of it and that yeah exactly and you could see that it's like okay wait okay we just need to make some changes here and then the people too i mean it was wonderful it was like finding this for me too it was fine i yeah. found a bunch of new friends this way exactly including i think you yeah right so yeah we met on a bike summer ride exactly that was and like the century ride or something like on oh yes all the, yes, all exactly. the worst streets and <laughs> yeah we rode all the worst streets of, of la yeah including uh <laughs> wilshire boulevard oh my god and the past what what street was that Oh, we went over. Oh, we went over like Coldwater, Coldwater like Canyon. That. Now this is a steep, mountainous street for people Narrow. not in LA, with with populated entirely by rich people in sports cars going as fast as they can. If I remember, yeah, yeah, it's and unbelievable. Then a, we went through there, 
And then you go downhill, and at the bottom of the hill, I remember, were these large wheel-eating grates. Yeah, that, yeah, uh, to, to prevent the animals from continuing down into Hollywood. <laughs> but at the same like time, though, <laughs> I remember it was a beautiful day. It was. And we ended, and, and there was a sunset, and I remember, like, actually, there's funny, a funny memory of waving at some guy in this beautiful custom car, and he was waving back, and everyone was having a good time. <laughs> We did have fun. Yeah, it was it was fun, and you could see the possibilities, right? And it, definitely, I don't know about you, but that was a point where I was kind of writing recreationally too, because I'm more like a runner fencer dude. You mm-hmm. know, that's my those are my things, and and biking was a way to riding a bike was a way to just get a little exercise. But it was at that point that I think you you said there was a shift, and yeah. it was suddenly like, okay, this is more than just exercise at this point. We yeah. can do something with this yeah I mean, is I mean, that is that was that your you feel that way too about yeah it absolutely i mean that it, it was a shift because suddenly everybody realized that there was a whole lot of people you know i, I was riding bikes and there was a whole lot of other people that were really into it too and what you know I, suddenly it was like oh i'm not this lone person in this sea of people who just want nothing more than to have a porsche so so that was a that was a big eye opener and then yeah like shortly Shortly thereafter, you know, now I was riding my bike again. I'd not been riding for two years, and which, you know, was a drag. And so now I was riding again, and it sort of started thinking, you know, I really kind of want to take this to the next level and, and not just ride recreationally. I want to I wanna actually be able to use my bike to go places. And I had purchased a bike. I'd actually purchased a bike that I intended to use for transportation right around the time I had the injury and it was just sitting there for two years. So I dusted it off and said, okay, I'm going to start riding this to work. And I was working for a small graphics company in Glendale. And uh, I told my boss that I, um, you know, I was kind of like the sales guy for this company and the, I was sort of a sales and production manager. So I met with customers a lot and stuff and I didn't have to dress up, but I had to be presentable. And I told my boss, well, I want to start, you know, riding my bike to work and I'd like to I'd like to put my bike in the back if that's okay. And he told me no. He didn't He didn't want me to ride to work because he was concerned that I was going to be sweaty and smelly and that I would offend the customers. And And the only thing that gave him any kind of, you know, influence over what I could or couldn't do is that I was I needed a place to put my bike during the day. You know, where our office was was like sort of this industrial part of Glendale and there was literally – no bike racks, no signposts or anything to lock to out front. I was like, what am I going to do? And oddly enough, I was talking, there was a print shop next door and I was talking to the owner there and I, and I think I was locked. I, I just rode anyway. I finally decided, screw it. I'm just going to go. I'm just going to ride my bike in. He can't tell me no. And I was literally like locking my bike to like a, a you know, a cable that supports the power lines or something <laughs> out front. And the print shop owner next door comes out and goes, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm locking my bike up. And he's like, well, how come, you know, how come your boss doesn't let you store it in the back? He's like, well, he won't let me. And he's like, that's stupid. He's like, you can, you can put your, your bike in the back of our shop. It's totally cool. I was like, great. <laughs> so I started doing that. And after a while, my, my boss just sort of realized that he couldn't stop me. And he also, uh, in the end, realized that, I wasn't all sweaty and smelly and I wasn't going to freak out, at, you know, disgust his customers or whatever. It's like, you know, and so then eventually it was just sort of okay. And then he kind of turned into like the kind of like the mother figure, you know, he was like 
in the evenings when I was leaving to go home, he'd be like, okay, be careful, you know, watch yourself. Because it was dark and I was leaving and he was like, oh, don't, you know, ride carefully. Wh- which way are you going? <laughs> well, I get that all the time too. How do you feel about that? Every, people always say that when you leave on a bike. They always say, oh, yeah. be careful. You know, you know what? Here's what I think it is. I, it's understandable to me. I, I, I've thought about that a lot. And I think that really what it comes down to is that most people or a lot of people don't ride bikes. And so for them, it's something they're not familiar with. And therefore something that you're not familiar with is scary. And so they have this perception that it's just this extremely dangerous thing that, that, oh my God, you know, they can never imagine doing because they don't do it. Uh, Whereas they'll jump in their car and drive no problem. And that's because they're used to that. Um, And so really, I think, I mean, my theory on it is that, you know, something you're familiar with doesn't necessarily scare you, even though it does have risk. I mean, driving a car carries with it great risk. There's thousands and thousands of people who die every year just driving. Uh, But people don't go, oh, you know, I could die today if I got in my car and drove somewhere. But they'll very quickly think that with bicycling, especially if it's something that they're just not accustomed to. So I really do think it just comes down to what people are familiar with. And I think that's where it comes from. I don't think it's, you know, I think it's ultimately coming from a good place. Generally, people are, you know, if somebody says that to you, I think they're worried about you. But, you know, maybe they're not totally thinking it through. Or or there's, like I said, there's just, you know, something that they're so unfamiliar with that they, they can't really quite imagine it. It's so outside their experience. Well, I think... I don't know about you, but I think a lot of people, that's their primary objection to riding a bike in the city, though, right? Is that they think it's its dangerous. Yeah. Um, do you, well, Kelly, do you have anything to say about that? I mean. <laughs> well, I would say, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll, I'm I'm the the odd woman out here. Um, Eric and, and Colin are long-term bike buddies, and I'm the one who doesn't ride a bike uh, because I'm scared to. So, I mean, it's it's an interesting thing because I'm very familiar uh, on an intellectual level with the with the arguments for why it's not dangerous. And yet uh, what lived experience I've had and also the stories that I hear, the mm. bike gossip that I hear is just appalling, the <laughs> things that happen here. So I personally remain unconvinced that it's actually safe to drive, I mean, to, to ride my bike around. I know it's not safe to drive either, and whenever I drive, I'm sure I'm going to die as well. <laughs> so I guess I just live in a constant state of fear. Um, but yeah, so I'm going to take some, I'm, I am like that person in the audience, like maybe most of the audience who's like, yeah, no, not ready to make that step. And I think it's an interesting problem, mm-hmm. you know, for, for anybody who's a bicycle advocate is like, how do we get people like Kelly onto the road? What do we have to do? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm not even sure. So I don't know if you guys want to talk about that or not. Yeah. Well, I know I'm happy to, happy to talk about that. I mean, for one, I mean, as things are now and the way the city is built out right now, I mean, I'm, what I would say to people who are really, truly frightened of, of doing it, I'm, I would, I would say, don't do it then. You know, I'm not, I don't think it's a good idea to force anybody to do that, to, to ride a bike if they're really truly just like, no, I don't want to, that's too scary for me. That's fine. You know, it's like my sister used to be really into skydiving for quite a few years and she tried to get me interested in it. And I went up on, you know, I went up in the plane and I watched her jump out at 14,000 feet 
And she's like, you want to try it? And I'm like, hell no. And she's <laughs> like, that's fine. That's fine. If you really don't feel like you want to do it, then don't because, you know, I'm not going to push you. Um, she put it out there and offered it to me and I had an opportunity if I wanted to. And I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. <laughs> so, um, I appreciate you know, the metaphor, but I think it's funny that you're yeah. comparing bicycling in LA to skydiving. I think in Holland, they wouldn't use that yeah. comparison. I'm not sure I was trying to actually draw that comparison so much as but like, that's the level of fear we're yeah. talking about. It's kind of interesting. Just, it's like, you know, my comparison is more sort of along the lines of, you know, encouraging somebody to do something that maybe they don't want to. And it just happened. That was the first thing that came to mind from personal experience. But, um, no, I mean, I think there's some strong arguments, especially right now. There's a lot of talk about protected bike lanes, you know, I would love protected bike lanes. Well, and that, you know, and the, and that they just passed a law here in California that, that is going to make it easier for cities to implement protected bike lanes. I mean, what a lot of people don't understand is that, that bike infrastructure is is built according to certain standards and currently the the standard you know the standard that's applied for a long time now essentially basically what it means is that cities if they want to protect a if they want to build a protected bike lane then they're doing something that's outside the accepted engineering standard and if something happens they're going to be potentially legally liable in a court of law if somebody gets hurt. And so most cities are afraid to take that risk. And so by having a law, this new legislation, as I understand it, to make it easier for them to do a protected bike lane, which, by the way, if people aren't familiar, is essentially a bike lane. Normally a bike lane is is striped to the left of parked cars. And so you're you're basically riding in between a row of parked cars usually and a bunch of car and a bunch of traffic passing you on the left. And there's risks with that because a lot of times that bike lane is inside what's called the door zone, which is the area where you could potentially get hit by somebody opening their door. Protected bike lane essentially flips that and puts the bike lane in between the parked car and the curb. And often there's a barrier in between those parked cars to add some additional space. And so the idea is now you're riding an area in an area that, that basically you are totally isolated from moving traffic except when you get to the intersections. And um, it's considered a, a better option by many, um, particularly on, on big streets with lots of traffic and high volumes and high speeds. And like, you know, some of the meccas of bicycling in the world, like Amsterdam and Copenhagen, you know, that's sort of like the default standard for a lot of the infrastructure in their cities is that they have these 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 protected lanes or cycle tracks or paths, if you will, that are just, they're separated enough from traffic. So that's like the big debate right now is, is, is getting that implemented. And there's only a few places where it's been done and it's all considered experimental projects right now in this country. And it's going to take a while to build that out. I mean, there's, there's a lot of debate about it because it's more expensive, yada, 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 yada. But it's understood by most people in the advocacy community that it, that's the kind of infrastructure that's going to get your average person and it's going to get it'll get me it'll get you to go out and ride you want that safety buffer yeah. away from the cars i mean i think especially in la because our traffic so when our, tra- our traffic's either not moving or it's moving very quickly <laughs> and yeah. um and when that's you're riding out on the street in the traffic there's a few things going on i mean one is that it is like kind of a high speed game I and mean, people 
who who bike in LA. I mean, they're athletes. I mean, you you're moving fast, and you you have to be like bold and fast. Like that's how I see it. It's not like it's not like the, the like the Euro biking where you have your baguette and the basket in the front and you're whistling yeah. <laughs> and sort of weaving along, waving to your friends. Like people who are biking in LA are like you know, serious. I think about like the wolf pack and people mm-hmm. like that, and, you know, they, they move fast and they're agile and they're survivors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if you can't keep up with traffic, if you don't have also like those, those basic chops, like, you know, can you bunny hop, you know, what kind of evasive skills do you have? Like that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I think that, that to me seems to come into play in terms of f- survivability. I think, you know, I, I there's also like a, a question of visibility. I don't think that bicycles are visible on the street at mm-hmm. all. I've joked about that if I ever was going to ride a bike, I would buy a really long blonde wig and glue it in my helmet. Because <laughs> 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 I think like sexy girls on bikes get maybe a little more space because people actually notice them. Uh, you know, like I'll see sexy, you know. But are you saying you're not sexy? I'm, you know, I ain't <laughs> 20 years old and blonde <laughs> wearing short shorts and high heels on my bike. You know, if you if you look like that, then people slow down and they drive some slow circles around you. Like middle-aged ladies, you know, with short hair, they just get plowed down. They, don't, they actually never would even see me, I think. <laughs> you might get some unwanted attention with that blonde wig. Just, just, I'd pre- just I'd probably saying. be mistaken. <laughs> for a gentleman <laughs> but at any rate um, but I, I don't know I know that, I know that I mean Eric has been in two serious accidents mm. both, well no you walked away from both of them unscathed but that was only through like some kind of divine intervention because one time you flew over the roof of the car right I mean, no, actually, I hit the back panel and caused nine hundred dollars worth of damage, which I was kind of proud <laughs> of. Which initially they tried to come after me for, but yeah, yeah. you know, I got mm-hmm. out of that thing. You landed in tra- you landed in traffic. I mean, no, I landed on the street. On I was, the street, it was there. I it would, they were minor. They were minor accidents. <laughs> I wouldn't call them my, if you are okay. if you are you know if you run into a car or a car runs into you and you end up in the middle of an intersection in Los Angeles, that's a serious accident. Well, you're, uh, you're downplaying it. Well, there's. I, <laughs> it, it, I'm not getting in the middle well, of this. At, well, yeah, we put poor Colin in the middle of it, but we're at a we're at a curious place, right? Where yeah, people are afraid. Some people are afraid to bike. Some people are biking now. There's more biking than I think there. There definitely more biking than there was. But absolutely five. Um, but There's it's a, it's a curious ethical problem because some people are afraid. I think they would bike if they, if they mm-hmm. were more protected bike lanes, like you were saying, but they're yeah. afraid to get out of the car, but they're in the car. And when you're in the car, you're kind of, you know, what should be said, both Colin and Kelly and I drive too. So we're sure you know, we have cars and we drive too sometimes. And you're kind of part of the problem when you're in the car, but you feel safer in the car. There's a perception of, of more safety there. Yeah. I'm not sure if I feel safer necessarily. I feel pretty comfortable riding in most places, but that's me. Um, well, let's, let's it's say- an interesting conundrum too, because because you know there's the whole thing about like you know there's a big push to get kids to walk to school, for example, and there's a you know there's there's I've seen multiple comic strips that say well. You know, we'd like little Billy to walk to school, but it's too dangerous with all those cars. So we drive him, (laughs) you know, it's like, okay, you know, and then there's also the you're not stuck in traffic. You are traffic, uh, which I think is very, I think that when I'm stuck in traffic, (laughs) I'm like, "Eh, I'm part of the problem here. You know, I, I think that 
my biggest concern on the one hand i understand that that you know things like protected bike lanes is what's gonna is really what's gonna get things to the level you know uh, of some of these european cities which i think is totally possible in 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 u.s cities too you know it's like people are fond of saying well we're not europe blah 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 um but you know i mean really truthfully you know when you look at cities that have like when you look at places like copenhagen or amsterdam and what have you you know they'll have like 30 percent mode share like 30 percent of the people are riding bikes as transportation it's unbelievable when you see videos of it and really what's going to take to get to that level is definitely things like protected bike lanes because it's just you know it's a comfort level and it's you know it's it's the same reason why when i ride most of the time if i can find a route that includes a quiet residential street instead of riding a major arterial i'll take it because it's just more pleasant and more comfortable it's not as loud there's less fumes you know you name it you know so i I get it you know and it's what is going to make most people comfortable i thought i also wanted to comment real quick on on your 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 athlete athlete comment Mm -hmm. i think there's a a real tendency in the biking community and and i don't know exactly where it comes from i think maybe part of it is is this this feeling like you got to keep up with traffic so i i definitely ride with people who you know as commuters ride really fast you know my my former coworker at the bike coalition alexis lance if you ever ride with her she rides really fast like i try to i'm trying to keep up with her <laughs> and and i think i've actually made a conscious decision like in the last couple of years like you know what i don't really need to go fast i can take my time and so consequently i'm riding along sunset boulevard towards downtown and i'm generally getting passed by other people and i'm i'm okay with that i'm like whatever i'm not in a hurry i'm going i'll get there <laughs> Um, but I have to concentrate on it, I think, or at least I did it first, which is sort of funny. So, so I would say you don't have to be an athlete to ride a bike. I think that's a, that's a perception that, that in some situations kind of prevent people from even trying in the first place. Cause there's this feeling like you gotta go fast. And it's like, no, you don't have to go fast. You can take your time. Well, what if you, okay. <laughs> so what if you're, you're uh, in, in a situation where there is no uh, bike lane and sure. so you have to take a lane uh, yeah. and you are poking along? That, yeah, that's, there's, that's a good one. Then aren't you, I mean, obligated by the, the uh, brutal rules of the road to move it along? Um, there's, definitely, there's definitely sort of that pressure and feeling like you're supposed to. Um, I think it's a false perception, you know, um, that's why in some, you know, in places like that, you know, if, if ideally if it's a multi-lane street where there's like more than one lane in each direction, in my mind, it's like, okay, I can poke along and, you know, if someone wants to get around me, they can just change lanes and pass or, or they can sort of straddle the two lanes to pass me. Um, and I think part of that is also just convincing the, the bicycling public or the people who ride bikes like look you you do belong in the street you do have a right to be there you have equal standing just because you're not in a car doesn't make you less important than the other guy you're you're going somewhere too just because you're not in a car doesn't matter and so and that's so true you know? yeah and it, is it is true, true. It, i mean i think it's just deeply embedded that you yeah. know, you you are an intruder you are unwelcome you're yeah. in the way. You're slowing things down. Why are you there at all? Like you know. Yeah. And, and it's like you don't have. I feel that you don't have 
those same rights, um, yeah. even though I know you do intellectually. Yeah. You know, for me, it's just, you know, I'm, you know, you can't change my mind on that. And so, you know, I mean, I, you know, I had somebody just the other day, it hadn't happened in a while, but I had somebody the other day, I was taking the lane on Glendale, you know, it was coming up second street and then Glendale towards sunset. And, you know, I was taking the lane and somebody came up behind me and was tailing me and he started honking at me. And I was just kind of like, all right, whatever, you know, keep honking. <laughs> and eventually he changed over in the next lane and went past me, but he honked all the way past. And I just, I think that the, the challenge is, is to, is to remember that you do belong there and that don't let, to try not to let that intimidate you. And, and it, to get to the point where you're just kind of like, all right, this guy's going to get all worked up about this and I'm just going to ride along here and enjoy myself and just sort of let it roll off my back. And that's that's not easy because there's definitely the temptation to, to flip them off or say something, especially if they say something to you and that's really hard. <laughs> it's really hard not to, you know. I, I joke with people when I when I do bicycling classes, you know, I say, just remember to wave with all five fingers. Um <laughs> Which I stole from somebody else, but um, that's hard. That's definitely hard. And it that's... sounds like you've developed a lot of um, like kind of like a, a Buddha stance, you know, with with maybe yeah, ancient experience, you know, just like I'm yeah. going to go as slow as I want and, you know, you're not going to bother me. I mean, I know that um, back in the day when Eric was maybe more when he was first starting writing, he was getting into confrontations with cars, you know, yeah. being unable to resist yeah. Um, answering back to them when they hassled him. Sure. And he'd come home all all worked up. And like you call, and that doesn't happen anymore because I it took years, but I learned just just like you just said, just to say hello, wave, yeah. be friendly, let it every, slide off like Teflon. Yeah. Every and, now and then, I still get worked up. If well, something there's a happens, testosterone, right? Yeah. I mean, every now and then, something happens, and it really makes me angry, and I have to try to calm myself down. But you know, but and interestingly enough, you know, sometimes I'll ride with other people, and and there's definitely I can think of some some people that I've ridden with who who are just ready to who are ready to battle it, battle over every single thing. And, you know, and so we're riding down the street and it's like every block, they have to yell at somebody else about something. And and I'm thinking, you know, you're putting a lot of energy into that. Aren't you tired? You know, and, and I also thought to myself, you know, a lot of this stuff that you're getting mad about, it's like, you know, if you were driving down the street, it would happen too. And it's like, you know, you could... You could do the same thing in your car. You're driving down the street and you could get really angry about the guy who just cut you off and the person who just turned in front of you and the guy who didn't use his turn signal and blah, blah, blah. It's all the same stuff. And it's like at a certain point you have to kind of – I just sort of thought, you know what? I, I'm just not going to expend a lot of energy on that because it's just going to wear me out. And I'm going to get home every day just being really angry. <laughs> and and it's just sort of not worth it. you know. So I pick my battles. You know, if – the other day I was riding home and like for some reason I had like, you know, I ride Sunset Boulevard through Echo Park and Silver Lake into East Hollywood. And I rode home the other night and there was at least three or four people who were like illegally stopped in the bike lane to like drop somebody off or they were checking their voicemail on their phone or I don't know what. And, you know, I started to get angry about it. And then I thought, again, just like, uh, whatever, you know, just go around. At least they're stopped. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, I, for me, it's sort of like um, 
you treat it like a fencing match or do you treat it like skiing? In other words, oh. yeah, there's a way I think about it. Those those obstacles in the path, it's <laughs> like, you know, you're slaloming along or whatever you do in skiing. Yeah, it's not, not a battle. <laughs> you're but yeah, Kelly's from Colorado, so she knows the right Shlo- term here. That's like the Hebraic skiing or something. <laughs> you're shaloming. <laughs> you're shaloming along. Shalom. Shalom. Slalom. Slalom. I've noticed, actually, you and I ride very sim- similarly. Yes. In other words, we stop mm-hmm. at red lights. and um, but, but more than that, more important than that kind of stuff, I think, is um, little subtleties like lane positioning. And this is something yeah, that, yeah. that actually took me a, a while to learn, mm-hmm. is to where to ride in the street. And we've already talked about one thing I think is super important is the route choice. Route choice, like, yeah. I will plan out. If yeah. I don't, if I've never been there before and I'm going somewhere I've never been, I will look at a map and I'll try to figure out, are there, is there a way I can avoid those nasty big streets Yeah. And take a side street or, and I'll go out of my way to do that. Yeah. But then there's also that route, uh, excuse me, lane positioning thing where, you know, it's like yeah. certain times of the day it's different and that it takes a little bit of finesse to learn that, I guess. Yeah. I think it's about like where to ride and in, in the road. Yeah. I mean, it's counter, a lot of it's counterintuitive because the tendency of most people is if they're riding on a street with lots of traffic, they want to get as far right as they can possibly get. Cause they feel like they need to get as much distance between themselves and the traffic as they possibly can. And the idea, the idea with, with lane positioning is that, you know, in a lot of cases you don't want to do that because you're setting yourself up to potentially, be in a collision because you're so far off to the side that it's easy for drivers to miss you uh, and not see you. And that if you actually place yourself more out into the lane, it feels more vulnerable and it potentially is to the distracted driver. Obviously it is, but um, to your average driver who's paying attention to what the hell they're doing, it makes you way more visible. And, and, you know, the, I, you know, a lot of people say, well, if they honk, the good news is they saw you. Um, so, um, yeah. So like a lot of times you're riding down a street, we already talked about the door zone, you know, so generally anytime I'm riding down the street where there's parked cars, if there, even if there's, whether there's a bike lane or not, I'm usually riding anywhere from three to five feet away from those parked cars. And, um, and the, the California vehicle code, allows you to do that it recognizes that um not all police officers seem to know that but that's a whole nother topic um but that's really counterintuitive because a lot of people have a tendency to think well i need to be way over and so though people who don't know about that door zone hazard tend to just ride really close to parked cars and whenever i see that it makes me cringe because i'm i'm just waiting for that person to get hit um and it, it happens probably more often than we know so yeah, riding further out into the lane, a lot of it also involves knowing what the typical collision types are and the fact that you're more likely to get hit by somebody at an intersection either turning left or right in front of you. Which is what happened to me, it should be said. Someone turning left in front of me. Yeah. So yeah, you look out for that for sure. Yeah, you have to, you have to be on the lookout for that. And just knowing where the risks are is huge because you know exactly what you need to be looking for and you need to be looking for that cue like i can see that guy's getting ready to turn left i'm coming along like i do this all the time when i'm riding i'm, I'm approaching an intersection 
and I'm going to go straight, and I can see there's a guy in the left turn lane coming from the other direction. And I'm thinking, okay, does he see me? But I'm also thinking, are there some cars next to me? And I'm doing that all the time. And it's like, oh, yeah, there's a bunch of cars right behind me that are about to pass me. So I know that guy's not going to go because even if he doesn't see me, he's not going to go because of those cars. But if there are no cars, then I'm looking for those telltale signs. Like, does he see me? Is he going to start to go? And if he does, what am I going to do? And so that's the kind of thing that you have to train yourself. And it, a lot of it's just paying, you know, paying really close attention to what's happening around you. And it, I hate to say it, but, uh, you know, a lot of times I feel like when I'm riding with, with some people anyway, it's, I feel like they're not really paying attention to what's happening. It's like they're thinking, well, I'm on a bike ride, so I don't need to, you know, I don't know. Or they just, they just don't know what to look for because maybe they haven't had that training. But if you are paying attention, I've noticed that it almost feels like you can see into the future. You begin to, you begin to sense this car next to you that's not signaling, but you know that this person's going to turn. Yeah, but yeah. later on you think, how did I know that? But well, they're, they're, they're slowing down. They're starting to inch in your direction. You know, there's all those other signals, you know. And, and that's the other thing about lane positioning for the person who's riding the bike is that by positioning yourself a certain, in a certain place in the lane, even if you're not using hand signals, because sometimes you can't use a hand signal because it's too dangerous. Well, people don't know what the hand signals mean. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you know, generally, generally if you use, you know, if you use your left arm out for left and your right arm out for right, that's pretty yeah, intuitive. Yeah, not the bent arm thing. The yeah, bent the, arm right, thing just, the left arm bent up for a right I turn. I think it's like a Masonic. Yeah, I, I think I don't know how many people really know what that is. But, um, but even if you're not signaling, if you're positioning yourself in the lane in a certain way, I think it, trans, it, it conveys to people where you're going. You know, if you're approaching an intersection and, and you're in the right lane and you're way over to the right-hand side of that right lane, then people might think, oh, he's going to turn right. But if you're over on the left-hand side of that right lane, it's pretty clear you're probably not. Um, and at least it's going to give somebody pause. So that's the kind of stuff that, that, that they teach in, in like, you know, in a, in, a, in, a, in a league class, you know, that's that lane positioning that you were talking about. And, and there's a lot that can be transmitted that way. And it, it just kind of comes down to conditioning people to understand that, Again, you belong there. You have a right to be there. In fact, you had a right to be there before cars. And and then the next piece is, you know, here's here's what the risks are. Here's where the potential, you know, hazards lie. And 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 then giving you the information about how to deal with that, you know, and just giving you that sort of understanding of your where you're at and what potentially could happen and, and knowing what you can do. And I think that gives you sort of more confidence to be able to do it. But, you know, there's definitely sort of that first step and you still have to, you know, you still have to be comfortable riding in traffic in that, in that kind of environment. And so. Now, are there some accoutrements that, you know, you should be said, you're also a very practical cyclist. You have Mm -hmm. bags on your bike. You have a nice practical bike. Yeah. Uh, Do you, for instance, do you wear what I call a dork mirror? (laughs) Dork. (laughs) <laughs> a rear view mirror yes i have a rear view mirror yes. i love the rear view um mirror. you know it's funny i i um i resisted i resisted using a mirror for a long time um i had lots of people telling me i should try one and and i would try one and i hated it and you know until finally some a good friend of mine a, a guy that i consider a mentor said you know yeah you're gonna hate it at first because it's gonna be like this obstacle and you're field of vision and it's going to really bug you but you got to give it at least a week or two and then see how you feel 
because I want to, and, and so that's what I did. And once I did that, I was like, oh, now I, I hate riding without one because it's so much easier, particularly, I mean, you know, if I was riding country roads or something, uh, maybe not so big of a deal, but you know, I ride into downtown and I ride, you know, on the city streets a lot where there's lots and lots of, of traffic and lots of people crossing in front of you and what, you know, all kinds of things. And so, um, it makes it so much easier to, to be able to keep an eye on what's in front of you, but also take a quick glance and know what's behind you. Namely, because, you know, I'm riding down the street. Like I said, the other day I'm riding home and there's all these people stopped in the bike lane. So I got to move out of the bike lane to get around him. And I know legally I'm allowed to do that, but I need to check and see if there's any com anybody coming up from behind me. And do I have, and if there is, I can watch them a little bit and get a feel for how fast they're going. And I can kind of get a feel like, okay, this guy's going to pass me. And then as soon as he passes me, I can move over and go around this, this car that's blocking the bike lane. No problem. Um, and so being able to do that is huge. And yeah, it looks kind of silly, but I've, you know, I've gotten to the point, I guess, you know, I have a steady girlfriend, so, yeah, who cares, um, right? so I don't have to worry so much about it. Yeah. I do get people ask me sometimes if, if I have, if I'm wearing Google glass, is that a Google glass? And I'm like, no, it's just a mirror. I'm checking my Facebook <laughs> updates while I ride. <laughs> but most people, you know, a lot of people go, oh, that's really cool. Let me see that. You know, they're curious. Um, you know, so, but it, it does make a huge difference. It makes things a lot easier. Um, and now when I find myself riding without it, I really, really don't like riding without it. It's because it just makes things so it's much handy, easier. For yeah, sure. It's really handy. And I'm okay with looking a little dorky, maybe. Uh, well, speaking of looking <laughs> dorky, clothing, um, clothing. Armani, or white Lycra, what do you, what no, do you wear? To... Most of the, most of the time, I mean, I do, most of the time I wear, most of the time I wear, a, a friend of mine refers to it as performance clothing. Um, which is basically, it's, it's like clothing you can get at like an REI that looks, that's kind of like, you know, hiking pants or shirts. And so they might be, they might, you know, it looks like a regular button up shirt, but it's made of like a lightweight sweat weaking material. Um, and so that's generally what I usually ride in. And that's what I'm wearing typically when I'm commuting and stuff. Um, I, I don't usually wear spandex pants and a cycling jersey but if i'm going to go out on a long recreational ride for example i will i've got that stuff too i in fact i have some very nice wool jerseys that <laughs> you can't beat wool when it's cold i'm mm -hmm. telling you mm -hmm. so but most of the time i'm just wearing you know what looks like regular clothes um and i like it that way i also think that it's it's i've i can't prove it but i i do get the feeling that i uh, i get a little more respect on the road from other from drivers if i'm wearing regular clothes i'm wearing regular clothes i'm on my bike it's got some bags attached to it and i guess they just kind of go okay he's going somewhere he's actually doing something i don't know whereas i find that if i do go out and ride you know on my road bike in the spandex then there the automatic assumption is that you're just out for fun and you're just recreating and get out of my way um, which you can't really assume because I know plenty of people who that's how they commute. They get on their bike, they, they kit up and as they say, <laughs> and they ride to work and then they change. Um, so you, you don't really know when you see somebody riding, you know, are, are they out? F and, and really in the end, it doesn't matter. The law doesn't say, you know, as a cyclist, you have a right to ride on the street, you know, 
unless you're just writing for fun, then then you don't have the same rights. Because I mean, really think about it. How you know, lots of people are out driving just for the heck of it, or or to go to do something fun, and they're not they're not they're not saving the world or making some critical delivery of of you know life saving serum to a hospital. I don't know. So it's like it's weird logic, but in any case, um, I, I do find that I I generally get more respect when I'm just sort of dressed like a regular person for whatever reason. I, I don't know what that's all about. But. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, off the bike, you're also involved in the political struggle to make Los Angeles a more bike-friendly city. Maybe yeah. We should, we should close with a little bit of that. And I, oh, okay. I have to say, you know... Uh, we can talk forever, by the well, way. Well, I know. That's another... Maybe that's a whole other <laughs> podcast episode. But yeah, your work and the work mm-hmm. of the Bike Coalition has really reached a turning point in the city. I mean, when we when we had that... When we were with that summer, Bike Summer 2005, mm-hmm. it was a lot different city then. And now, yeah. you know, there's protected bike lanes going in. It seems a lot does seem safer. There's a long way to go, but I, I wonder yeah. if you could talk a little bit about, you know, mm. tell some of the stories from the front of dealing with the um, politics in, in wow. the city and, and making that happen. It's, you know, it's an ongoing process. I mean, I, I was just like the city's trying, city of LA is trying to implement, you know, it's bike master plan and they're being way more ambitious about it now than they ever were in the past. And, you know, you know, I have to, I have to give a nod to v- Mayor Villaraigosa because he really did He's the one who kickstarted that. The former mayor. The who, former mayor. Who had a bike accident himself. He did. He he basically got cut off by a taxi cab and was injured. And, and boy, that he, – I mean, he's, he <laughs> says that didn't change him, but I think it did, although he also went to a major conference in Copenhagen, and I think he saw what was going on there. And people were like, dude, it's cold here. What's your excuse? <laughs> and uh, anyway, um, so the city's trying to implement, you know – a lot more in terms of uh, bike infrastructure, and I, I was at a neighborhood council meeting the other night. And well, tell us about that because these, these yeah. meetings can be pretty contentious. Yeah, I mean, you know, neighborhood councils are set up to be sort of like a sub level of the government, and you know, people, you know, it's 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 intended to be sort of hyper local. And so, what's sort of hap- what's kind of become a pattern now is that you know, like for instance with the with the bike plan you know like if the city wants to implement bike lanes or bike infrastructure in a particular neighborhood they'll go to the neighborhood council and see if they can get a blessing from the neighborhood council and if they do that kind of helps give them you know that sort of backing they feel they need to sort of justify doing the project so that if people complain after they imp- implement it they can go well we we had community outreach and we went to the neighborhood council and they supported it so go away <laughs> so um yeah so you know uh, i went to this neighborhood council east hollywood neighborhood council meeting just the other night because i knew they they were going to be talking about proposed bike lanes on virgil uh which is a north south street through like parts of koreatown and, and east hollywood and los Feliz. and there's also a proposal to put bike lanes on hollywood boulevard that's the east-west route. These are all very congested areas, I'll say, yeah. for the out-of-towners. Like yeah. Virgil and Hollywood Boulevard are some of the densest, uh, yeah. both in people and vehicles, you know, in the yeah. city. They're, it's really... They are really congested. and they're basically, rough to get through there by any means. Yeah. But yeah. it should also be said that they're difficult places to bike now. So biking would be a really wonderful thing, especially going mm-hmm. to Hollywood Boulevard, especially. Really? That would be really yeah. amazing to have that happen. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of details that go into this. I mean, you know, I think the main thing I wanted to say was that I've seen this kind of 
scenario played out over and over and over and over again. And it's basically, you know, city person comes up, proposes bike infrastructure in, in on street X and people in the community have a mixed response. Some people are like, yeah, that'd be great. I'd love it. And then you get the people who are like, hell no, you know, and a lot of times the response is for the people who don't want it. It's usually like, well, it's not right. It's, you know, it might work over there, but it's not going to work here. It might work in New York City or it might work in Portland or it might work in Copenhagen or it might work. That's people are really fond of saying it works there, but it'll never work here. Everybody <laughs> thinks that their street is so different than everybody else's. <laughs> Um, is, it, is there objection that it interferes with parking or it takes space away from like what's the oh objection? well the city of LA is not proposing taking out parking well, we, we because don't do parking that. is no. sacred <laughs> so like in the case of Hollywood Boulevard and Virgil what they're basically proposing like Virgil is a four lane street and they're proposing eliminating at least one of those lanes so that they can put in the bike lanes <gasps> and then they would but you know this is getting into the engineering side of things but like Essentially what they do is they're going to remove two lanes. So there'll be one lane in each direction, but then there'll be this center turn lane that currently doesn't exist and actually creates a lot of of congestion because if somebody goes to turn left, everybody behind them has to stop. Mm -hmm. So by introducing that center turn lane, that eliminates that problem. So actually the chances are if the volumes are right and they know the numbers, um, it won't actually have a detrimental effect at all. Um, but, you know, they're not touching parking. Oh, no. Um, then you have the business owners after you. I mean, you already do. But anyway, so the scenario is, you know, oh, no, that won't work here. It might work over there. Or the other one is like, well, you know, I really like bikes and I, I like bike lanes, but not here. You should do it over there. And it's like no matter where you propose to put it, there's going to be somebody who thinks not here over there instead. And and it's gotten to the point now where, you know, that's the trouble. That's the problem is that, you know, the city's kind of, you know, implemented it in a lot of the places where it's easy and there was plenty of space and they could do it. And now they're having to make some tough decisions. And I think the bigger picture of it is that we're kind of at this transitional point where, look, and this is what I think a lot of people don't understand is that, like, traffic isn't going to get any better congestion is just going to get worse and unless you introduce alternatives for people to use it's you're going to be stuck in gridlock all the time i mean i don't make it to the west side very often but i was out in the west side a couple of weeks ago with my car and and the mm. traffic was like it's insane it was like nothing it's just i've non, ever non tenable yeah and 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 i'm sitting there thinking i can't understand why anybody who deals with this on a daily basis doesn't think this is broken and like why people, you know, on the West side in this case wouldn't be, you know, just chomping at the bit for transit to open up and for other alternatives to be presented because, you you know, you can't build your way out of it. You can't just expand the roads. That's not going to work. And, and it's that's known. So anyway, um, this this scenario, and so I'm at this East Hollywood Neighborhood Council meeting, and there's there's the usual stuff. Oh, not here. It won't work here. Don't do it here. Do it over there. And then invariably, it turns into this discussion of like, well, you know, when are those bicyclists going to stop at stop signs and stop at red lights? And it turns into this discussion about how bicyclists are these 
scofflaw, illegal people, and completely ignoring the fact that there's tons and tons of drivers who speed, text, and do all kinds of crazy stuff. I mean, when I do drive and I find myself driving in morning rush hour traffic, the level of just stupid stuff that I see people and dangerous stuff I see people doing in their cars, but they're just willing to just sort of forget all that. And it's like, well, those, those damn cyclists, they're a menace. And you're like, really? Um, and it's frustrating because it becomes a distraction from what really the conversation should be, which is like, look, what do we want our future to look like? What do we want our city to be like in 20 years? Do we all want to be stuck in traffic all the time and wasting so much time and, and resources? And it's just ridiculous. It's like there has to be an alternative. And this is part of that. But a lot of people just I don't know. People don't think that long term, I guess. I'm not really sure. And I I don't find that a lot of times when you have that person from the city making that presentation, they're not saying that. You know, there, there was a big focus the other night on safety. They were talking about how this road reconfiguration actually does have the ability to, to improve safety and that it, it, it's been proven time and time again to reduce collisions for uh, across the board for bicyclists, pedestrians, and car-on-car collisions. But people don't want to hear that. They just want to talk about, you know, I mean, literally there was a guy who got up at the meeting and said, I rode my bike here. I almost got hit twice by drivers not paying attention. And somebody else got up and turned to him and, ha and had the balls to say to him, you need to stop at stop signs. <laughs> and And I was like, I was actually amazed that the guy who had ridden the bike and told that story didn't punch the other guy in the mouth because it was like, really, you have the nerve to say that to this guy after what he just explained to you? Like, really? So there's still a lot of like people get really worked up whenever the topic comes up. You know, I've gone to meetings where we were presenting something really innocuous like, hey, I want you guys to sponsor this pocket guide that we have that talks about the rules of the road for bicyclists. <laughs> And it turns into this big argument about those damn bicyclists. And I'm like, really? I'm actually trying to do something that you should be in favor of. And yet you're getting really angry. And I think that's it. It's like, you know, traffic has gotten so bad that it becomes a real hot button issue and people get worked up really quickly. And that's kind of frustrating. <laughs> but I think you said it. There's a lot of hope in this, too, which is that, yeah. you know, here we are. Uh, oftentimes after these changes get in place, suddenly it's, you know, it's better for business to have people on bikes and people who can walk safely and elderly people who can, you know, yeah. are not prisoners in their own house and children who can walk to school, mm -hmm. you know, and I, I think you'd agree with me that this is a lot more than about a bike, right? I mean, yeah. the work of the Bike Coalition, the work you do mm -hmm. is goes way beyond... You know, yeah, yeah. I mean, it definitely bicycles. does. I mean, it, you know what it really comes down to is that what it really comes down to is giving people transportation choices. That's what it comes down to. And it, in, in contrast to where, I mean, even in some communities today, you have no choice but to drive. If you want to get around, you have to drive. And, and it's so ingrained that people don't even realize it. Like I remember, you know, growing up in Simi Valley, it's like, the idea of like taking transit, I mean, we did have a couple of buses that ran around, but you know, they only came around once an hour. I was like, mm, you know, that's not very practical. Um, and I remember like the first time I ever took like a subway, I took BART in, or subway, I took BART in San Francisco when I was in college. I took a trip up there and I took BART from like San Francisco over to Berkeley to go visit some friends who were going to UC Berkeley. And it was like, 
the clouds parted, you know? <laughs> it was like, oh, my God, that was so easy. Why don't we have this in L.A.? This is crazy. Um, and, and so it comes down to the fact that we don't have choices or the way things have been built. They were so built with the car in mind and really kind of nothing else that now we're trying to transition away from that to creating this system where there's transit and where you can walk and where you can bike. And there's a lot of people who are kind of resisting that change and having a hard time sort of getting it. I would say, though, that, you know, and I don't want to be in totally negative. I mean, the positive is, is that there's a lot of people and there's more and more people, I think, working for cities who get it and they understand what they need to do for the future. And they're just, you know, they're they're walking that fine line between implementing something they know is going to be good for us and good for our future, but also trying to make sure they don't get lynched coming out of the neighborhood council meeting. <laughs> um, and that's that's a tricky, tricky place to be. But it's, you know, I'm, I'm encouraged. There's more and more people who are really into it and who know, who get it and know what they're doing. And, and it's just... In the end, it's like, you know, really, and, and again, like I was saying with, like, Mayor v- v- Villaraigosa and, and how really it was his push that led to things going in the direction they're going now. Is it, it really does take, it does take the politicians at the top who have that power. Because believe me, I, I, I worked for three years on a project where I was embedded, embedded at the city of Glendale. And when the mayor or the city manager or some top official says, jump, the city staff says how high and they you know he says make it happen and they say yes sir or yes ma'am and it gets done and so that's part of the trick is is to is to is to have those leaders who you know and sometimes the push has to come from the bottom to get them to to go along and then sometimes you have a taxi driver who cuts off a mayor and he breaks his elbow and then things change. That's the solution. <laughs> we just send rogue taxis after all of our politicians well, I did, <laughs> when they're on their fun rides. I did have I did have people tease me and said, so how much did the bike coalition pay that taxi driver? And I'm like, you know, if we had thought of that like years earlier. <laughs> well, speaking of the bike coalition, uh, how can people get in touch with the L.A. County Bike uh, Coalition if they're locals and yeah, send yeah. some support? Uh, well, see what you're up to. The, the website is la-bike.org. la-bike.org. Um, uh, we post stuff on the website. We also have a weekly newsletter that we send out every Thursday. And if you go to the website, you can sign up. The newsletter is free. Um, and we send that out every week, and it talks about all the things that are going on. Um, we also, I should mention, we uh, this is very important, is that we also have local chapters all around L.A. County. So even if you don't live in Los Angeles proper, um, we have chapters in, you know, as far east as Pomona, as far north as Santa Clarita, Santa Monica, and all the way down to Carson. So we're kind of, you know, so there, you know, there's an opportunity to get involved in your local community probably. Um, and that's, that's really kind of what it is. We're, we're, our real focus right now is, is building up those local chapters and, and, and working to empower people who, in whatever part of LA County they live in so that if they're interested in a project in their local community, we can try to help give them the resources and the ability to do something about it. That's really a big part of our focus right now. And our, you know, our local chapters are, are doing some pretty cool stuff, and, and they're out there. Well, thank you, Colin, for being on the podcast. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Yeah. 
Do Thank you. Re- Thanks for the invitation. Thanks for the wine. Uh, yeah, we'll have to do this again. Yeah, I'd love to. Politics. I, I, I can talk forever about this stuff. Indeed. <laughs> uh, to leave a question for the Root Simple Podcast, call us at area code 213-537-2591 or send us an email at rootsimple at gmail.com. We are Root Simple on Twitter. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment for us in the iTunes store. And we're also on Stitcher. And you can support the Root Simple podcast by buying a copy of one of our books through the Amazon links on our website. Our theme music is by Dr. Frankenstein. Additional music by Roe. Thank you for listening. Thank you.